Let me invite you to turn to Psalm 99. Psalm 99. As you're turning, I'll share one other thing about my post-BBS activities. Three days this last week their heads down and they were all looking at an iPhone and, and they seemed to be sort of wandering almost a little aimlessly around. It was a, it was a kind of a very unusual thing and I, I asked the waitress, I said, um, is something going on I don't know about? And she looked like me, looked like I was from uh, another planet or another century. She said, yeah, it's this way every day now. It's Pokemon. Well, I don't know, maybe to the, young, the youth mind, this is another way of proving that there's more to our world than what we can see with our eyes. <laughs> Psalm 99 teaches us about there's more to our world than what we can see with our minds. Uh, hear the word of God inspired and inerrant. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is He. The King in His might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at His footstool. Holy is He. Moses and Aaron were among His priests. Samuel also was among those who call upon His name. They called to the Lord and He answered them. In the pillar of the cloud, He spoke to them. They kept His testimonies and the statute that He gave them. The Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. Amen. May God bless that reading of His Word to us. Let us pray. O Lord, we ask now, That we might see that the mountain of God is full of His holiness. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, our psalm this evening, Psalm 99, is another hymn celebrating God's kingship. God is king and Lord of all. But there's a twist in this particular psalm, as there is in every one. The twist lies in its unique emphasis. Over and over and over again, the emphasis lies upon God's kingship in that He is a holy God, a holy king. Psalm 99 deals with God's holiness from three different angles or perspectives. The whole of the psalm is divided into three sections. Now, they're not of even length. It's not that they all begin with the same letter in some memorable way. 
Rather, they each end with a similar affirmation that God is holy. Now, the word holy is one of those religious words. You know, um, we sing holy, 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 and, and we hear that God is holy, or, or our holy God, or the holy Bible, and you know we say, that's good, that's a good Christian term. But what does holy really mean? At its root, God's holiness is His separateness, His differentness, His uniqueness, and therefore His entire uprightness. And God is holy in basically two different directions or dimensions. On the one hand, He is holy metaphysically and ontologically. Now, if you majored in philosophy, that's no problem. You like those long words, but what does that mean? It means that God is profoundly different than they are. He is divine, and we are not divine. You know, the most humorous, uh, actually it's in song, the most humorous um, way of putting this I've ever heard is that He is divine and we are to branch. That is, we are branches of the vine if... Indeed, we're grafted into Him by holiness, uh, or by a Holy Spirit, and also by faith. He is different than we are. We, We are not God. You know, that's a very difficult thing for a human mind and heart to grasp. We wake up in the morning and... And we see something staring us back in the mirror and and all of a sudden we realize we recognize those eyes, although the rest of it is still a blur. And as we begin to groom and brush our teeth and go through our routine, you know, by the time we're finished, that's a fairly handsome fellow or gal that's staring back at us. And and we can have visions of grandeur until we walk out to the car and and the hair is blown every different direction by the Texas wind. We are not metaphysically or on the level of being divine. We're not infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. As a matter of fact, we we change our minds faster than the weather changes. And and we ourselves are, are not innately in ourselves able to do all things or or have great control or, or infinite knowledge. We we raised our children telling them that. God knows all things, and mom and dad know almost all things, but only God knows all things. So God is holy in the metaphysical sense. He's also holy in the moral or ethical sense. He is always right. He's always right ethically. He always does the right thing, and He is so right And so great in his rightness that he is the definition of what is right versus what is wrong. God is holy. He's holy in his being on the one hand and in his doing on the other. And so our text this evening before us simply teaches that our God is a holy God. Now, in the first three verses, the statement is given to us that the covenant Lord reigns in holiness. This is a kingly psalm, and so right up front, God's kingship and His power and His glory and His majesty are put before us. Verse 1 says, The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. 
He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. Whenever we read in the Psalms something about the nation, we know that we're reading or or singing or hearing about Israel. But when it's in the plural, uh, let the peoples tremble. Let the nations tremble. Then we know that the perspective is of all of the earth, all of the nations, all of the different ethnic groups that occupy the globe. Let each and every people group recognize that God reigns and therefore give Him His due. You know, I've been in the presence of, um, I've been in the presence of royalty twice in my life. It was really cool. We were in Edinburgh and we were standing on the far side of uh, Princess Street and, and there was the Castle Rock in the background and the, the Union Jack was flying crisp in the wind and you know they were setting off the cannon with, with great regularity. And there was a crowd gathered on either side of the street and, and there was a procession that was, co- that was coming down. There were, there were bands playing. There were dignitaries in, in cars. And then what everyone wanted to see passed right in front of our eyes. I, I had Reed on my shoulders. It was that long ago. And I said, look, look, son, there's the queen. It was a very memorable moment. The second time I've been in the presence of royalty was after I had colon surgery. You know, I was in the hospital and it had been a very difficult time. I'd been misdiagnosed for one week and almost killed the second. And and then they decided on an emergency basis to open me up and just cut part of me out and throw it away. And I woke up to the face of a, a Presbyterian ruling elder from First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, dear brother Sam Hensley, and Sam said... Brother, it's okay. I sliced it and diced it. You're going to live. But I didn't feel like I was going to live. And they gave me these little red pills. uh, Tylox, I think they called them. Don't ever let me have those, Dave. I I had the most wonderful and vivid experience. I, I walked down Princess Street in Edinburgh, even though I was in a bed in Jackson, Mississippi. I saw every childhood friend of mine. We, we carried on deep and emotional conversations. And then I took a, another few steps down to the next close. And, and who was there but Queen Elizabeth herself? We carried on an amazing conversation. But you know, about halfway through, I had this little nagging feeling that maybe, maybe something was just a little out of place. I jumped out of bed. I ran down to the nurse's station and I, and I told the two nurses there that night exactly what I had experienced. And the nurse on duty looked at the junior nurse and said, write it in his chart, no more, no more tie locks. <laughs> we are to tremble before deity, not carry on a little conversation. Before kings we tremble. Before queens we should give respect. You know, if you're around even the ladies-in-waiting, you have to bow or, or curtsy and show due respect. But here the nations are said to need to recognize 
that the one who is king and lord over all is the covenant God, and therefore they should tremble in his presence. Verse 2 tells us, the Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. And so there's no doubt in the parallel statement that God indeed is the Lord not just of one peculiar people, but of all the peculiar peoples. And each and every nation one day will have the scales fall from its eyes and they will see and know and worship the Lord. And how do believers think about this? Well, verse 3 tells us, Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is He. From every tongue and tribe and people and nation, they will come. Uh, They will stream into the presence of God. They will sing His praise. They will confess His name. His people will be united in rejoicing in the fact of His holy reign, that He who is holy and exalted and all-powerful and all-knowing, that He Himself, the Divine One, God indeed, reigns over all. There will be no more tears and no more fear. There will be no more squabbles, no more war, There will be no more chaos and terrorism and thank God there will be no more elections that we have to make our minds up in. We will know that God is King and that He reigns alone. He is holy. And then we hear in verses 4 and 5 that the covenant Lord judges in holiness. Verse 4 says, The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. This is a statement in poetry and in song, which I think we can still catch something of the almost surprise on the part of the singer. Yes, God has done these things, but He has done these things in our world. On our planet, in our nation, in our lives, God, loving justice, will establish equity, justice, and righteousness. You know, this has become something of a theme in the current climate today. Justice. Right. And I won't wade into all the political angles because, you see, it's like a jumbled bowl of spaghetti, isn't it? Some who shout the loudest for justice seem to be the occasion of horrible injustice. And and others accused of injustice, they appear to be on some level, some at least trying to establish justice. And, you know, in a fallen world, you need to grasp this very deeply because each of you 
have a role to play in, in civil government in life as well. And the Bible teaches us very clearly that this is a fallen and broken world. And, and so when you walk out those doors, you, you don't expect peace and righteousness. This is not Pleasant Valley Sunday each and every day in the fallen world. But God, God who is mighty, God who will come and reign, His mighty hand and rod of arm, arm of iron and rod of iron, He will establish holiness and righteousness and justice and truth. He loves justice. He loves what is right. He wants to lift up each and every one of His people. He wants to shower them with blessings and gifts overflowing. God Himself will see to it because He will execute justice and He will establish righteousness even among men. But you know, you can't do that just by a protest or speaking out or or even countering power. Even power with truth on occasion, that doesn't necessarily work in a fallen world. The justice and the righteousness which our loving covenant Lord establishes comes at a profound and heartbreaking cost. He who knew no sin became sin for us. The very Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, He took on flesh, even as the children share in flesh and blood. He Himself likewise also partook of the same. He came not only to His people, but for His people. And He voluntarily and willingly gave Himself as a sacrifice on the tree for us. Oh, sacred head now wounded. Oh, that sacred head was wounded and bowed low and laid, not just in a manger, but also in the tomb for sinners like us. The covenant Lord loves justice enough to strike the blow of justice upon His own Son. And so His people respond in worship. Verse 5 says, Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at His footstool. He is holy. I remember years ago, I was taking uh, one of those delightful weeks. My parents dumped me off at my grandparents' house, and they went off to have a good time, and, and I just had a grand time there in rural North Carolina. I got to go, uh, I got to go hunt for rabbits, and, uh, and I got to go help in the garden, and, and my grandmother let me take showers for as long as I wanted. She, she told me that uh, they had a well, and the water didn't cost a cent. And there was a little uh, house out in the woods not far. And, and I asked if I could go shooting there and permission was given to me. And, and so I went and I went shooting and a, and a bird flew in an open window of this old abandoned house. And so I, I shot away. I shot, shot, shot with my little powerful BB gun. I must have been 
six or eight years old. I guess that's back in the old days when you could do that and it was okay. And then the hammer of justice came down. I got home and about a week later there was a phone call. And it was my grandparents asking if I was the one who shot all the windows out in that house. That my cousin was getting ready to fix it up as a place for that she would live, she and her family, and, uh, and that there was a lot of repair work that needed to be done, and they found all these BBs on the inside, and was that me? But even as the hammer of justice came down, I remember my grandmother, she said, now look, we want you to tell the truth, but I also want you to know that we're going to pay the bill. And that's precisely what our Heavenly Father has done in establishing justice and righteousness. He has paid the bill on the back of His own Son. The covenant Lord judges in His holiness. And the covenant Lord answers in holiness as well. Verses 6 to the end of the chapter make that clear. We get this uh, recitation and summary of high points of Old Testament redemptive history. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. and, And every child of Israel goes, yes, Moses and Aaron. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. Every child here, I, I don't know if, um, it was at VBS, I don't know if Mark Husband played Moses or Aaron or Samuel. I, I know he was Joshua and several other characters this week at one point or another, but, but you get the gist. And the thing that is said here is that they, as priests, called upon the Lord, and the wonderful thing about God is that He answered them. There are a lot of wives that understand that. They understand the joy of a husband that will talk to them, will share with them, will respond. A lot of old sitcoms from the 1960s, you would see the normal setup of the mother cooking, the wife cooking uh, breakfast in the kitchen, and and the husband's at the table, and, and this strange thing that you young people have never seen before, a newspaper. Uh, the father would have the newspaper at the table and, and he was drinking his coffee and reading his newspaper and the wife would make a statement or ask a question and, and all that she would hear back was yes, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Pretty soon she would shift from asking, you know, do you like my hair? Do, do, does this dress the right thing to be wearing? Uh, uh, do you want me to burn your eggs? She would shift to more creative topics. And it was clear he was paying her absolutely no attention whatsoever. And things got interesting after that. But Psalm 99 tells us that God speaks to His people. He listens to us and He answers us. He answers us for our good and for His glory. They called on the name of the Lord. And the Lord, the covenant-keeping God, He answered them. In the pillar of cloud, He spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. The Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Here in verses 7 and 8, there's there's a little irony because you see Moses and Aaron and Samuel were great prophets or great priests and, 
And yes, God answered them, but you know, the people of God did not always respond as rightly as they should. And we are reassured, even as we get that phone call, as it were, confronting us about our lack of obedience and our lack of following in His way, we hear that He was a forgiving God to them but yet an avenger of their wrongdoings. And the strange thing about this song is here, the avenging of God falls upon the substitute. It falls upon the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It falls upon the promised one, the great son of David, the one who fulfills all of the great covenant of grace, the avenger of their wrongdoings, lets the blows fall upon His own Son. And so the covenant Lord, answering in holiness, establishes salvation. And rightly we can sing, Exalt the Lord our God, and worship at His holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. He has absolute might in His reign. He has absolute right in all that He does towards us. And He gives absolute salvation so that we need not fear or tremble ever again. But we are safe. Safe under His reign. Safe in His arms. Safe from every fear and shadow of our fallen world as He transforms it after the image of His Son. There's no better place to be. Let us pray. O our Father and our God, we give You thanks for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You indeed that He is the King and Lord of all. We thank You that He is holy in His kingship that He is holy in His might and reigning, holy in His character and actions and establishment of justice, even at the cost of His own suffering and death. And we thank You that He has accomplished our salvation and applied it in spite of ourselves to sinners like us. Oh, Lord, we pray that You would help us to worship the holy triune God, and give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Please rise for the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.